it's difficult to remember or capture what we were seeing in the early 2000s in Africa. Um, this was, as Tom was mentioning, was a disease that took away a generation of people. When I first visited South Africa with Mark Dybul, um, he was, uh, we visited shanty towns where you only had grandparents and grandchildren. Um, the entire intervening generation was gone. Um, we, you know, we, there were many, many child-headed households because of dead parents. There were also child-headed villages because the, all of the adults had died. Um, and it, I remember in Namibia meeting a, a couple and their child, all of them HIV positive, before the program was implemented, um, who had named their child, there is no good in the world. In the local language, that was the name that they gave their child. Um, and, uh, and they were some of the first people to receive uh, drugs in Namibia under, under PEPFAR. Um, so it was, uh, uh, it was a crisis. It was an extraordinary crisis. Um, and my best experience in government was sitting in the Oval Office and watching the President of the United States make the decision to pursue PEPFAR, the largest initiative to fight a single disease in human history. Um, it, faith was essential to this in a variety of ways. I know that's part of our focus. And it was an essential motivation of the president and many people that were involved in the creation of the program. He would constantly go back to the biblical verse, to whom much is given, much is required. Um, and that sense of duty rooted in a Christian anthropology, a view of human beings, their rights and dignity. And that was really quite important. It motivated our, a lot of the faith-based implementers. People don't realize that a lot of our aid, foreign aid, is you know, not done directly by the government. It's, it's given to implementing institutions, international institutions like World Vision and others, but also local institutions, religious institutions that were trusted in these communities. Um, and uh, so that was really important. And it created an unusual movement of conscience um, where you had uh, evangelical pastors and traditionally liberal human rights and global health organizations working uh, together on a, on a project uh, where they had never worked together before. Um, the one campaign which I'm involved with now in many ways became a symbol of that, you know, meticulously bipartisan, Republicans and Democrats, not a faith-based organization, but faith-friendly, included people from a variety of faith traditions. Um, this is all important, I, I'll just close by saying, in and of itself, for s saving those lives. And, and we're on the verge of major gains now in uh, prevention, on the prevention side, because of new technology and new, um, if, we, if we focus. Um, but it, it's also really, I think, important to the country to show that, to model that politics can be something different and higher than what we're seeing. It really has proven that people that disagree profoundly on many issues can come together when they rally to the cause of human dignity. Um, and I think that uh, our politics needs more of those examples, but this one needs continued support. Um, well, it's always hard to follow Mike Gerson. Um, so thanks for that, Mark, for the order of that. Um, so I'm Tom Hart with The One Campaign. Uh, we've been referenced a couple of times, probably best known by our co-founder Bono from U2, who is a person of deep faith, although has some skepticism about institutional religion. Um, and uh, 
came to this issue and, uh, and engaged with faith communities out of that sense of, of human dignity and of, uh, and of being a person of great faith. Um, Mark asked me to say a little bit about the faith community's role in the creation of PEPFAR and, of course, the sustaining of it over time. I mean, it's hard to overstate the importance of the faith community's role, both substantively and politically, in getting this across the line. Um, let me start with President Bush and his obvious and you know, personal faith, which drove an enormous amount of this. Um, Michael, of course, knows the president far better than I do, but you only have to meet him for a minute or two to perceive that deep sense of uh, wanting to do God's will in the world, and he felt like this um, incredible initiative was consistent with that. And that is, you know, without that, it certainly would not have happened. But let me talk, since we're in Capitol Hill, a little bit about the politics of it as well. It, uh, the faith community's support both was essential because of the substantive intelligence from the ground, whether it was through partner organizations, sister churches, or um, um, missionary work. World Vision, you saw Bob, Bob Zacharitz on the, on the screen, you know, they were... So World Vision does orphan um, sponsorship, child sponsorship, and the, and the parents of these kids that were being sponsored were dying. Um, churches, I happen to represent the Episcopal Church, our, our Anglican churches all over Africa were spending seven days a week putting people in the ground. There was no ministering to the flock. So there was a substantive engagement with the devastation of this disease that the faith community could not ignore. And I think that experience w was highly credible and highly influential. And then, and then the politics of it are important. Um, it's tough to get things uh, moving on Capitol Hill and get Republicans and Democrats to agree. That was even true 15 years ago, although it appears to be harder even today. But the, the role, the political cover that faith communities provided, particularly, I would say, to Republicans who had not engaged in these issues um, as much as some Democrats, provide, opened a door and awareness and some political space to engage in an issue that was less familiar. That was tremendously important. And again, I wouldn't suggest for a second that it wasn't deeply rooted in both a substantive and um, personal commitment from President Bush, but it didn't hurt <laughs> that uh, members of his political base were also providing enormous cover. Um, Michael mentioned this in his remarks on the screen. What that created was this wonderful, strange bedfellow coalition, which, as far as I can tell, having worked in Washington for 20 years, is the best way to get things done. When you have right and left, you have LGBT activists and evangelical pastors, you have street protesters and pop stars, you have scientists and CEOs all saying, we have to do something about this scourge of HIV, uh, provides the kind of momentum to really get big things done. Uh, and you know, far fewer big things have been done in the last 15 years, I think, than PEPFAR. That kind of support um, was incredible to get it launched. We have to keep the momentum going on it. One of the great blessings of PEPFAR and the Global Fund, which Mark will talk a little bit more about, is that they work. If these programs didn't work and actually save lives, no amount of smart or strange bedfellows or smart lobbying from our organization would help uh, Capitol Hill continue to fund it. So the critical thing is that incredible people um, have been uh, made this program work and saved millions and millions of lives. Uh, but we also, in tough times uh, when resources are scarce, need the support uh, to continue to move it forward. As, as I mentioned in the video, we're only halfway done with this marathon. Uh, we are not yet at the finish line, and we're at this dangerous point in the campaign to end AIDS. 
where results are creating complacency. It is more or less a chronic disease in the West. But in Africa, 2,500 people will die today from HIV. 850 young women will catch the disease today and tomorrow. So we've made incredible progress. We've actually proven the model. The tools exist. We have to finish the job. It's almost more, more galling than 15 years ago when we didn't have the tools. We didn't have the data. We do. So we have to finish the job. Thank you, Tom. Jenny? So I'm Jenny Yang, and I'm the Vice President for Advocacy and Policy at World Relief. Um, World Relief is a humanitarian evangelical organization that has worked in um, countries in Africa and also in the U.S. helping refugees and immigrants. Um, when we started working in Rwanda, just as a case example, uh, shortly after the Rwandan genocide, um, we encountered something that many people don't realize um, in terms of the after effects of the crisis, which was that there were between 250,000 and 500,000 surviving women who had been the victims of gender-based violence. Um, and when the HIV AIDS um, epidemic was really rampaging all of Africa, um, it was many of these young women and girls that were um, mostly impacted by this spreading disease, um, where the HIV AIDS prevalence rate in that area was around 13%. Um, and so at World Relief, when we started working with churches to talk to them about the, the ravaging effects of this disease, we had a survey of around 40 church pastors. And when we asked them, you know, should the church, the African church, respond to this crisis, only four out of those 40 said that they should respond. And only one out of those 40 actually were tangibly doing any kind of ministry working with those impacted by HIV AIDS. Now, this was something that we realized we needed the local church, not only because they were a moral authority and a local institution trusted by the, the people there, but because we, in order to combat HIV AIDS, we needed to change people's stigma around this disease, especially around the AIDS orphans, who many people believed deserved um, their situation because they were you know, under a curse or, or um, some stigma like that. And so we needed the local church to change its values and beliefs about those impacted by this disease, and then we could equip them and work with them and partner with them to really combat the effects of this disease as well. I think the uniqueness of PEPFAR was the fact that not only was this a, the, one of the greatest initiatives in terms of combating a single disease, but it was actually focusing U.S. resources on a non-U.S. crisis overseas. It was literally a humanitarian intervention in which, um, as Mike and Tom were referencing, um, you know, we had a bipartisan, across-the-political spectrum um, array of actors that were caring about this disease from a biblical perspective and from a humanitarian perspective as well. Um, when we uh, started grappling with the disease and really partnering with um, the State Department and USAID to implement some of the programs through PEPFAR, what we saw was a really unprecedented shift in how the churches viewed this disease. They viewed this as something that was secondary to their mission as a church, and it actually became primary to their mission as a church to really serve those who are most vulnerable around them. Um, when we started working uh, with, with PEPFAR, uh, we had uh, initially expected to impact around 100,000 people in three provinces in Rwanda. We ended up working in every province in Rwanda, um, impacting over close to half a million people. Um, and in fact, Laura Bush actually visited one of our programs, and she was able to meet with many of the AIDS orphans and really see the impact of PEPFAR um, happening in local communities. 
I think as we talk about why it's so important to work with faith-based organizations, I think it's critically important to recognize the role that local churches play in a context like Africa. Um, we often say at World Relief that we believe the largest, most broadest social network on the planet is not Facebook, it's the local church. There are more local churches um, in Africa than there are Walmarts or Starbucks or Coca-Cola stands. Um, and the reason for that is because the local church can provide the moral authority to change stigma, um, but also to treat the disease through the hospitals and medical care clinics that were created um, alongside of churches. Um, prevention and treatment really became the rallying cry for the local church in Africa. And because of that, the local church was really front and center in responding to what was really a global epidemic. Um, I know at World Relief, I mentioned to you the, the only four pastors that felt like they needed to respond to this out of the 40. Um, but over the work that we did, we work with Catholic and evangelical and Protestant churches to really combat this disease through trainings and curriculum that really taught the biblical values of what it meant to respond to AIDS orphans, just as an example, um, in the ministry of the local church. Uh, working through the church became one of the best networks for raising both support and awareness. Um, and when you look at the history of U.S. government partnerships with faith-based organizations, I think PEPFAR is probably the best example that you have of a robust private and pu par uh, public partnership that literally changed the course of a disease that was ravaging an entire continent. Um, imagine the impact of PEPFAR since its creation. There have been 2.2 million babies that were born HIV-free because of this initiative. 2.2 million babies. And even still, the, the impacts of PEPFAR continue throughout Africa and many places around the world. Um, but the, the fight uh, to support PEPFAR cannot cease. In fact, what we know right now is that HIV AIDS remains the leading, the leading cause of death globally among women of reproductive age. Um, and as, men, uh, as Tom mentioned just briefly, um, that 5,000 new infections occur every day globally, which is a significant statistic as well. I think the U.S. government's um, pr priority on PEPFAR needs to continue, and I think with the support of faith-based organizations in particular, um, that we hope to continue this fight with um, other actors as well. Um, thank you very much for inviting me to take part in this, and I, as a... Uh, a former Bush administration um, appointee has special meaning. The efforts uh, of Republicans and Democrats, people of faith, uh, civic actors, business to come together um, in those strange battlefield coalitions are, are crucial. I, I um, during the era of PEPFAR stand up, I wasn't working on it. I was, for my sins, working on policy related to the UN and uh, had the privilege of, of being the US ambassador to combat human trafficking. But the effort in, in the Bush era to make sure that those um, people who were vulnerable to HIV AIDS, no matter how unfortunate, no matter how subject to poverty, or hated, stigmatized, um, neglected groups, the prostituted girl, the prisoner, the, the migrant, the gay man, they too were every bit equal as a human being. Um, and I met Mark Dibel as one of the architects of, of PEPFAR when he was the um, PEPFAR ambassador in that era. And he's recruited me to doing what I do now, which is uh, I help coordinate advocacy for Friends of the Global Fight, which is the chief advocacy um, group devoted singly to the, the Global Fund um, uh, to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. What is the Global Fund? The Global Fund set up in 2002 is, is a bank. 
Uh, it is a funding mechanism to get money to uh, countries working to fight AIDS, tuberculosis as an infectious disease, which is the most likely way one dies of AIDS, um, and malaria, which particularly um, uh, uh, undoes the future of, of children and something that President Bush was equally focused on. It was designed to be better than the UN, to be a public-private partnership, to bring business with its acumen for supply chains and innovation together with civic um, and faith voices. And that faith voice dimension is so important to both PEPFAR and to the Global Fund as, as its complement. Whether it's the Perdaki um, Christian group in a Muslim-majority Indonesia fighting malaria, CRS, Catholic Relief Services, working in Mali on TB, or um, something called the Ethiopia Interfaith Forum on Development, Dialogue, and Action in Ethiopia, which brings Christians and people of other faiths together to help orphans, children um, uh, who are affected by AIDS and fight stigma. They're crucial, and in the multi-stakeholder partnerships um, that the Global Fund underwrites, and it only underwrites ones that have partners besides the governments, including civic, faith, and business partners, it makes a great difference. The Global Fund works hand-in-hand -hand with PEPFAR, um, to, so they complement each other. They coordinate extraordinarily clo closely. And in many ways, the Global Fund's purpose is to extend the reach of PEPFAR. Because of Congress's wisdom, it limits how much of the Global Fund budget the U.S. can contribute to. And other nations know they must come up with at least twice as much as the United States is pledged or U.S. money will be left on the table. And it has worked. Tom and I returned from um, Lyon, France, where there was a once every three year conference for countries to pledge. And it cuts against any um, intuition that the U.S. Congress took steps to increase funding for the Global Fund in the current fiscal year by nearly 16% for the first time in six years and countries like the UK going through Brexit and Italy with its own populist government and the European Union with its problems and uh, pathologies all stepped up and increased um, what the Global Fund could raise for a three-year period to $14 billion, um, the US leveraging change. It has, since 2002, with other partners like PEPFAR and the Presence of Malaria Initiative, been responsible for 32 million lives being saved. I completely endorse uh, the, the analogy of the marathon. Think of how much PEPFAR has done and the Global Fund helping it. In 2005, two million people every year were dying of HIV AIDS in the period that it was a death sentence. Now. It's about 900,000 people a year. But the glass is not just half full, it's half empty. We need to finish the fight. We are called to finish the fight. We can end the AIDS epidemic, and we must. Thank the panel. So I'm going to ask them uh, one question and have each of them uh, just respond with a few sentences in response, and then we'll open it up to a few questions from the audience. Um, so as we see from the video, from your comments, the faith community was and has been a critical partner in addressing, building political will, but also implementing efforts to fight global AIDS. 
Um, Ambassador Burks talks about a coming youth bulge, which mm -hmm. we didn't address here, but there's a generation that was literally saved mm -hmm. through our efforts, which are now coming of age in terms of uh, maturity. And in some ways, that can produce another round of sexually transmitted diseases that um, prevention is all the more important to. Uh, to. So withdrawing from our engagement now actually kind of creates this jeopardy in terms of advances made. So there, there is a need to lean forward, not to lean back. So what would be one thing that you would want to recommend to Hill staff and those that are in the room representing other faith organizations, uh, faith leadership, to, to continue the fight? So in their roles here as folks who represent, again, faith communities, faith offices, their own faith, what is one thing that you would ask them to do to continue the fight. And uh, Tom, let's start with you. What would be one thing you would ask the <laughs> folks in the room to do to lean forward, not, uh, yeah. not step back? Um, well, at risk of repeating what I said before, that we've just got to finish the job. And by that, I mean the US plays the leading role. The US is obviously the largest among the major donors, but it plays an outsized, disproportionately important role in this fight against HIV. And if the US steps back because of legitimate strains on resources and other priorities, and there are, um, HIV could resurge, and it could resurge in ugly and difficult ways. It would be much harder to defeat it again, having made 15 years and billions of taxpayers' investment. Uh, we could lose ground on that. I, the, the idea that we get as far as we have and don't help and lead the world to finish the job um, is pretty scary. So I, I don't know what other than to say I hope we can express the both awe and gratitude of the people up here to what Congress and the American public have done. Mm -hmm. But wow, don't let your foot off the accelerator. <laughs> Jenny? Yeah, well, um, I think especially for many of you who are congressional staffers and others, um, the, the last clip you saw in the video was of the vice president speaking about the White House's commitment to this initiative. And there's going to be ongoing different political dynamics, but our bipartisan commitment to this initiative cannot abate. In fact, mm -hmm. Congress has oversight to fund PEPFAR. It has oversight to fund the Global Fund. Um, our, our partnerships with the UN and other agencies that are the global bodies combating this disease um, shouldn't be weakened. It should be strengthened. Um, and so any ongoing role over or even through reauthorization that um, your members of Congress can take to ensure that it's funded every single year is important. And having events like this is critically important as well. Um, I think any use of film or art to highlight the face of this issue when it can be all about numbers is critically important. So as your members go on visits to Africa or Asia, ask your member whether or not they can visit a, a, an organization that is working with um, people have been impacted by HIV-AIDS. And again, if you meet these individuals, it will change your whole understanding of the impact of this disease. And so um, that's just a few things I would recommend. Yeah, I think people need to realize that we're not just at a stage of maintaining our gains. There, are, there is real possibility, a real hope for gains in the area of prevention as we've seen in treatment. Um, the initial aid, uh, PEPFAR program was a miracle of treatment, getting the drugs to people and getting them to adhere to the drugs. Um, and it was just extraordinary. 
But I was in Zambia not too long ago, and they, for young women, I think between 16 and 25 or 23, they, 15 years ago they had an infection rate of about 11 percent, and today they have an infection rate of about 11 percent. Um, and because of the youth bulge, these numbers aren't sustainable. They can really cause this to break out. But the great thing is that we have the techniques now, through, particularly through early treatment, which actually reduces people's infection ability to infect others greatly, through male circumcision, which works extremely well, um, and through uh, you know, consistent and correct condom use and all the other tools, we can engage in what they call combination prevention, where you can flood the zone with prevention initiatives and bend the curve of new infections downward in a sustainable way. Um, and I think that people need to, to view this moment not just as a time to consolidate gains, but to really take the next step, which is, which is prevention. Yeah. Uh, Ambassador Burks, uh, running PEPFAR, um, focuses on these challenges of the youth bulge. One of the successes of, uh, you know, of the PEPFAR effort and the effort of the world is there are many, there's a generation of people who are alive who might not otherwise be. But you know, to just keep up, one actually has to intensify with the growing youth bulge because youth and especially young women and girls are particularly vulnerable. The epidemiological pattern is that it is slightly older males who are infecting somewhat younger females, um, and one has to grapple with that. If you ask me what um, you need to do, I'll talk about one thing that is kind of a, an issue of values and one thing that's very practical. Just this is all about every human life being of equal value. We need to keep prioritizing that in programs that manifestly work. And so far, there has been a, a remarkable bipartisan cooperation in a time of real rancor. And preserve that. Remember, some other person who stands with you on this issue may be someone you disagree with virulently on others, but this you're called upon to do more on. The other thing is, it would be tragic if increases that, um, on a bipartisan basis, both houses of Congress have come together to put into appropriations bills, fell off the edge of the table. If there were a year-long continuing resolution freezing funding for this at the levels of the past, when we can accelerate to do the prevention, to do the second half of the marathon 